Welcome to the Rookie Leaders Podcast, the podcast of veteran leaders offering leadership lessons to newbies. Whether you're brand new to leadership or expanding your leadership responsibilities, this podcast will provide the knowledge and experience you need to lead courageously and effectively. This podcast is a production of the Credible Leadership Group, a coaching and consulting firm devoted to your leadership development, career advancement, and personal growth. Learn more at CredibleLeaders.com. Now, here's your host, Michael Tanner. Well, hello there, friend. Michael Tanner here, your host. Welcome to another episode of the Rookie Leaders Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I greatly appreciate that. Hey, today I'm really, really excited to share this episode with you because today I'm talking to what I now consider a new and good friend, Mike Etor. I'll tell you a little bit about Mike in just a moment, but just thrilled to have him uh, on the podcast and share his leadership wisdom, his knowledge with you all. You're going to get lots and lots of great leadership wisdom from this episode. Uh, Just to tell you a little bit about Mike, I actually heard Mike on another podcast that I listened to. You'll hear that in the interview as we we talk, Uh, but I heard him on another podcast and I, I reached out to him in hopes that I could have him on the Rookie Leaders podcast here, and he so graciously accepted that invitation And I'm just super excited to share uh, his wisdom with you, as I said. Let me tell you a little bit about Mike. So Mike currently runs and leads and owns the Fidelis Leadership Group. You can find them at fidelisleadership.com. I will have links to his website as well as the book I'm going to talk about here uh, in the show notes for this particular episode of the of the podcast. But you can find him at fidelisleadership.com. But Mike uh, actually graduated. He retired from the United States Marine Corps as a infantry officer after 24 years, I believe it's 24 years in the United States Marine Corps, retired as a as an infantry officer, a, a combat veteran in leadership as well. And then he moved on to the corporate world where I, I know he uh, he worked at K-Force and he was uh, the director of leadership development for them for many years. That's a publicly traded company. And so he also understands the corporate world. He understands even the publicly traded corporate world as well. And so he's just got a wealth of knowledge. And then now today, he leads the Fidelis Leadership Group. Uh, We're also going to talk about it in the podcast, but I want to tell you, uh, or in the interview, but I want to tell you about the great book that he has out. It's entitled Trust-Based Leadership, uh, Marine Corps Leadership Concepts for Today's Business Leader. And I'm telling you, you want to get your hands on this book. I've read every single word of the book. It is an awesome book. I promise it's going to become one of those books that you know exactly where it is on your bookshelf because you're going to go back to it often. So be sure you check that out. Be sure you get that book. Again, I'll have links to the book uh, in the show notes for this episode today. But really pay attention to what Mike has to say. I believe he's going to uh, dispel a lot of the myths and a lot of the misconceptions maybe that you have about military leadership. He's got 24 years of military leadership, infantry leadership on top of that, combat leadership even on top of that. So you definitely want to hear him out and listen to the leadership principles that he's going to share with you in this episode. So without further ado, let's get over to my interview with Mike Etor. Mike Etor, welcome to the Rookie Leaders Podcast. Hi, Michael. Thanks. I'm thrilled to be here. You know, it's such an honor to have you on here. And and I probably, I said this before we hit the record button, but for the audience's sake, I want to make sure that they recognize that I found you or heard about you first through the Dose of Leadership podcast by Richard Ryerson. You were on his podcast a, a few weeks back now. And as I heard your interview with him and you spoke about your book that we're going to talk about today on the podcast, I went and purchased your book. And I just got to say, it so resonated with me, the Marine Corps principles, the Marine Corps traits of leadership and all that you have in your book. Really, really great book. And so I, ever since then, I've just been super excited to share you with the audience. So it's great to have you. Oh, thank you. I love being here. Richard, Richard's the real deal. 
Yeah. Um, I think if you listen to the podcast as you did, I, I found him be- while I was thinking about becoming an executive coach and I'm like, wow, this guy's good. He knows what yeah. he's talking about. And, uh, and all these years later, we finally connected on his podcast and that was one of the most enjoyable ones I ever did, Michael, because, um, as you can tell, we never met each other. Mm-hmm two different communities. I was an infantry Marine. He was a pilot. That's you, right. You really can't get much different than that. In the That's Marine right. Corps. Yes. Yeah. I think listeners m- m- might suspect that we rehearsed it or that we'd known each other a long time. And of course we didn't, we're just from a common leadership background. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. And, and I think if I remember right, you might've even said something like that in the podcast that you guys are speaking the same language here, even though you hadn't met before, uh, but you know, here I was on the listening end of that and I felt the exact same way, right? I felt, yeah. man, I, I really resonate with everything that these guys are saying. And that, that was one of the primary reasons that I knew at that moment, I wanted to reach out to yeah. you and, and get you on the podcast. Um, well, if you don't mind, Mike, um, just a little bit about your background first, we'll start there sharing with the audience, uh, your background. I know a good bit about it already, but if you'd share that with the audience and then I want to dive into some of the con- uh, content that's in your uh, in your book as well. Sure. I was uh, going all the way back. I was born in 1956, which makes me an old guy, bona fide old guy in uh, in New York State. When I was 10 years old, my dad worked for the government. He got transferred to New Jersey to a place called Picatinny Arsenal, which does a lot of research and development on weapons. So my dad was actually involved in the early 60s testing what became the M16. So he actually was testing the the base, you know, different variants and all that. So I was raised for the most part up until high school in northern New Jersey, very rural area. I went to high school with dairy farmers, um, brought shotguns to school, put them in our trucks and went deer hunting after school. It was a great place to grow up. Mm-hmm. Uh, graduated from high school on a Wednesday. And Monday, I was in, at Paris Island. I was 17 wow. years old. Uh, couldn't wait to get there. By Tuesday, I'd wonder what the hell I'd done, you know? <laughs> of course. <Yes. laughs> so you've, been, you've been there, done that, yes. you know? So, so um, I had a great enlisted career, uh, did really well. So I stayed in the Marine Corps, enlisted 1974 to 78. Um, it was a different core back then made rank very quickly was actually a drill instructor before I, uh, before I got out. So I was actually the youngest drill instructor in the Marine Corps at the time. I graduated my first platoon of recruits when I was 20, I wasn't wow. even 21 yet. So uh, just a charmed life. And then I knew I, I, I got out and went to college for two reasons. I was a wrestler from third grade all the way through high school. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to go back to college. I wanted to wrestle at the college level and I wanted to get a degree. And I knew when I graduated, I was going to either go be a high school wrestling coach or I was going to go back in the Marine Corps as an officer. And about halfway through college, I was like, you know, I can always go back and be a coach. I'm going to go back in the Marine Corps as an officer. So I did that. I graduated in 1982, got commissioned in 1982, and then stayed as an infantry officer um, until retired in 1998. Um, During that officer career, again, infantry, um, I was fortunate or unlucky enough, depending on the given day and how you look at it. So I was... I was on the deployment that uh, did the Grenada uh, mm. Beirut operation. So okay. we were actually headed for Beirut, took a right turn, going to a place none of us ever heard called Grenada. We we're going to liberate that country. On the way down there, about three days headed there, the Beirut bombing happened. Mm-hmm. And this was the unit that my unit was supposed to uh, replace. So that was a, obviously a sad, tragic event. Um, so anyway, we, uh, we, we did Grenada, went to Beirut, spent, I spent about four and a half months ashore in Beirut, um, came back, went to, went, did another float with that battalion, uh, was a series officer, you know, the, the mm-hmm. officer equivalent of being a drill instructor. I was, you know, supervising drill instructors, loved it, went to various schools, went back to the fleet as a company commander. I was a uh, company commander during desert storm. Um, made another float with them as, as another company, a command of another company and then held staff billets, you know, the, the pretty much now it was a major, you know, so you get all the bad deals now as a, <laughs> as a brand new major. And, uh, around 1998, I was going to go up for Lieutenant Colonel the next year. And with my enlisted time, I had plenty of time. I could retire. And mm-hmm. I just said, I didn't know nine 11 was going to happen. And I just sure. said, you know, I got a, I got a chance for my kids to grow up in one spot 
go to one high school. And so that's what I did. I put in for retirement, retired as a major, just going up for Lieutenant Colonel. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm, I'd like to think I was going to make that rank and maybe another one in, in addition to that. But that's all speculation. Um, had obviously being a Marine, had I known 9-11 was going to happen, I'd right. have never gotten out. Yeah. Uh, of course, I may not be alive today, <laughs> but so the Lord just didn't want me to be there. So yeah. I yeah. have retired, <clears throat> had, a, excuse me, had a couple jobs, um, actually worked for Trigicon, high-end rifle scope company. I was the first military guy they hired and uh, and stayed with them about eight months. Pre-9-11 was great, so I was walking through airports with an AR-15 uh, in in a roller bag, you know, that I would go up to the luggage and say, "Yeah, yeah, this is a weapon. That's a yeah. rifle." They right. they weren't they wouldn't bat an eye. Like, okay, uh, let's see, open it up. Okay, yeah, it's a rifle. Let me see your locks, and you know, they'd put it in the stowaway luggage, and I, you know, could you imagine that today? I mean, yeah, you know, right. yeah. No. So I loved that company. It was great. And then I got an offer with a company named K Force. Mm-hmm totally outside the defense world. And K-Force is a staffing company, uh, finance and accounting and IT professionals. We find them jobs, both permanent and temporary. Mm-hmm. And so K-Force hired me to start a leadership development program. The CEO was a big fan of Marines and a big fan of our leadership style and, and concepts. And so he hired me to be a leader, you know, leadership development, vice president of leadership development. I did that. It was good. I hired a bunch of Marines to come into the company. And then the dot-com crash hit. Mm-hmm. And that was the bad news. It was very tough. The good news was there was a lot of opportunity for me. And uh, I, I didn't know much about business when I started, but I learned quickly. And I would say about four years into my tenure with K-Force, I was the executive in charge of most of the back office operations, mm-hmm. uh, human resources, marketing, the internal IT group, procurement, uh, real estate. I mean, if it wasn't a sales you know, generating function, it generally rolled up to me. Loved the company, can't say enough good about it. Spent nearly 15 years with them. Got every good deal. I just can't say enough good about that opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And and retired. And thought I was done. I had done well. I had done well financially. I just wanted to retire and PT and read and do whatever I wanted. And I did that for about the first year. But during that first year, Michael, I also realized that I had coffee or lunch uh, with 30, 20 or 30 people during that year. And they were seeking coaching and mm-hmm. mentoring and advice, you know. Um, and I realized I was coaching and I loved it. And I missed that aspect. I didn't miss the day-to-day stuff. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to be somewhere at 7.30 in the morning anymore, but I missed helping somebody develop as leaders. And I yeah. realized it was coaching. So the rest is history. I hung out my shingle as an executive leadership coach. Um, and it's, you know, I went from thinking I would never work again until yeah. to the point where I will, I will never stop this. I love this so much that I will do it as long as I am physically and mentally capable of it. So that's, that's where I am today. Still helping develop leaders. Yeah. And you know, that story, Mike, I mean, it, again, it just so resonates with me and, and it, it, it feels a lot like me as well. Um, uh, you know, I, you talk about, uh, not knowing nine 11 was going to happen and all that. That really is the reason that I chose not to reenlist is I was in, in the middle of those 90 years, uh, you know, in the 1990s, nothing was happening. And frankly, I was bored and I thought, you know what, I'm just getting out of here. I'm going to move on. Uh, but had I known, uh, 9-11 cause I was infantry as well. I was 0311, um, as well. Um, so I, I wish I had known that. And, and I really appreciate, you know, that, that entire history of practical leadership, you know, in your book, and we're going to get into it in just a moment, but in your book, you talk about the difference between a leadership expert and an yeah. expert leader. Um, and I, I see myself as the the expert leader, just like you talk about it. And that's because you and I both uh, in, in the Marine Corps, you more so in the Marine Corps, but then also in the corporate world, we have the experience of leadership, not just the education or the academics, right? but we actually have the experience of leadership. So I so appreciate that about your, your story. Um, yeah, thank you. So I, I want to... Every time I have a guest on the podcast that has written a book, I like to start and ask the question around, why did you write a book? Because I know how difficult it is. We talked a little bit before hitting record, uh, the, the task of writing a book. 
But you actually put in the book itself, I believe, the answer to that question. And I wanted to get your thoughts on what is in the book, because you mentioned that um, uh, in the book, and it's on your website as well, I know, uh, to earn immortality, a man should have a child, plant a tree, build a house, write a book. And so I'd, I'd certainly like to get your thoughts on that, uh, you know, to earn immortality, you've written a book. What does that mean to you? Well, I thank you for that. And thank you for doing your research. So that is the My Purpose page on my website. And I lifted that verbatim and put them in a book. So I honestly believe my purpose, why God put me here primarily was to be a good person, good father, you know, and to, he gave me, I believe, a, a special aptitude for leading and an even better aptitude for developing leaders. Mm-hmm. And if you look at that quote again, I say, uh, you know, yes, write, you know, have a child, build a house, write a book. And then I say, I added another bullet. And mm-hmm. that other bullet is if you want to be immortal, develop leaders who are capable of developing the next generation of leaders. Yes. So I'm a big fan of the ancient Stoics and all that. And, and, and there's ego involved. I, I do want to be immortal in the sense that the, the, the lessons that I learned from Marines that were on Iwo Jima and Korean War and Vietnam and all of the research and studies I've done on, you know, other leaders, Andrew Carnegie, Henry Ford, you know, these other guys, that's what I teach. And so they've become immortal because people like me have glommed onto their research and their experience and their wisdom and quotes and thrown it out there. That's what I want to do. So everything I do is aimed at developing leaders who can use what I teach. And often I'm not teaching them, I'm conveying messages mm-hmm. that, that I've learned from other people. And, you know, there's, you're familiar with the website, the, uh, what's the, the genetic website where you can look at uh, ancestry.com oh, yes. yeah. where you can kind of trace your ancestry and then you can build a family tree. Right. Well, what I want to do is if they had a leadership ancestry.com someday, I want people that have learned from me and then mm-hmm. taught other people. I would hope that 500 years from now, you could still see the effects of, of the people that have taught me and the yeah. things that I've got in my mind and what I've poured in other people. So mm-hmm. that's really where I'm going. And, and why I wrote the book, um, I was doing well. I was a successful executive coach, started teaching executives, and they'd asked me to create a leadership development program like from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. And I realized, you know, it'd be a whole lot easier if I had a course outline. Mm-hmm. And so I started with a course outline and I realized, you know what, it'd be a whole lot easier if I had a book to to hand to people and say, okay, read chapters 12, 15, 23, and 58 before our next meeting, because these are relevant to your issues and what we're talking about. And so, uh, I hope I sell a million copies of the book. I don't think that's happened. I did. I created it solely really as course content and material for my training, coaching, and seminars. To that end, it has absolutely served admirably. Uh, it's, it's, it's done well. Uh, when I coach people, we use the book exclusively. And about 10 sessions, I, I, I get them through the entire book. You know, they they read four or five chapters. Well, what do you think about that, Joe? Susie, your thoughts on this chapter. Right. And it brings, it brings up good questions and all that. So yeah, it's 574 pages, big beasts, not intended to be read page to page, uh, but for someone that's experienced like you, and I have had uh, veterans, not only Marines, veterans tell me, Mike, I, I love your book because when I bought it, looked at the table of content, I realized I could use it as yeah. my course content to teach other people. And so that makes me feel great. Yeah, you know, yeah. Just- no, I, I love that about the book. And we should probably make mention, and, and I'll have it in the show notes for the episode, but your book is Trust-Based Leadership. And I can't recommend it enough. Uh, as I said, I, I so resonate with it just because you and I have such similar stories with military backgrounds yeah. and corporate backgrounds and all. Um, I so resonate with that. But but I also, just as you mentioned, I love the fact that it's um, it's formatted the way it is, much like a curriculum, just as you were just describing. 
And for me, I know that what that means is it's going to become a reference book for me rather than a book that I read cover to cover. And then I sit it down and I, I forget where I put it. Um, right. I think that for, for everyone that gets that, it's going to be one of those I said to you earlier, it's going to be one of those that sits on your bookshelf and you know where it's at at all times uh, because you're going to go back and, and reference it. Um, yeah, let me, I, I thank you for that. Let me, let me say something up front here. So the title is, I'm looking at a copy right now. The title is obviously Trust-Based Leadership. The subtitle is Marine Corps Leadership Concepts for Today's Business Leaders. That's right. And what I wanted to emphasize to your audience is, this book is, while it's teaching Marine leadership, as you know, because you've read it, Michael, the book relates Marine Corps leadership concepts and tactics and techniques and how I actually applied them mm -hmm. and others have applied them in the business world. So this is a bold statement up front to your listeners. Leadership is leadership. The Marine Corps doesn't have a monopoly on good leadership, but it has good leadership. That's right. And I am living proof that if you know leadership and you have organizational skills, you can go into pretty much any organization and add value, mm -hmm. keep your head above water until you learn about that organization. That's where the expert leader came from. I didn't know anything about business. I was new to it, but I was entirely comfortable with leading people, having right. meetings, organizing people, helping people with their problems. And so again, I'm not the only one there's, thousands of us, if not a couple million that have come out and done really well. Mm -hmm. But I tell people I led civilians exactly like I led Marines. Yeah. And and people would look at me like, well, I said, no, I know what you think. You think yeah. we're Rambo. You think we scream. I said, I'm telling you something as a Marine officer or as an NCO, if aside from being a drill instructor, you know, boot camp, where there's a whole lot of yelling going yes. on. Yes. If I raised my voice at a Marine, and that was my consistent MO. Someone's going to take me aside and talk to me. Yeah. Because we, we don't do that. That's right. I, I, in fact, I find the Marine Corps to be much more focused on politeness and manners than the civilian world. Well, well we, tact, we say, yeah, tact is one of those 14 leadership traits, right? No, no doubt about it. So that's what I wanted to say before we got yeah. started is yeah. it's a good book, but my claim to fame is the only reason why I was able to function immediately well as a, a high level executive. And then for 15 years, mm -hmm. um, by anyone's definition, I did well was because of my leadership background. Yeah. And if you have no leadership background and you buy this book or any other good sound book, that's why I tell people, it doesn't have to be my book, Michael. Mm -hmm. You could buy any good leadership book. And if you just stick with it and stick with the fundamentals, you're going to do okay. Because the fundamentals in all good leadership programs are pretty much the same. Yeah. Uh, totally. Maybe said, might, might be said differently, yeah. but pretty much the same. Yeah, you know, I, I totally agree with that. And, and and I completely, the idea that leadership is leadership and it doesn't matter if you're on the battlefield or you're in the conference room, um, leading people is much the same. And and I face, and I'm sure you face this as well, I, I face the, the misconception. Once people learn that I have a military background, and especially if they learn that a lot of the, my leadership teaching is is rooted in the principles that I learned while I was in the Marine Corps. When they learn that, uh, and they maybe they want to bring me in to speak or a workshop or something, they just have this assumption about them that that I'm going to show up and I'm going to teach uh, command and control, authority, you know, rank based uh, um, authority or position type uh, leadership. Uh, but instead, I show up and I teach a totally different model and yeah. it's a model that's that's highlighted in your book servant leadership and so i would really like for us to kind of dive in and honestly here's what i want mike i want my listeners to hear from someone other than me it, to acknowledge that leadership in the marine corps it isn't just about rank and command and control and authority and so forth well you're absolutely right i mean there certainly is rank Mm -hmm. And there certainly is command and control, and those are very useful, uh, but it's not what most civilians think. Uh, I, you know, most people think, you know, Mike as an officer would say, hey, you, right. 
I order you to do that. That's not how we approach things. There's right. a whole lot of, please, thank you. We know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows who's in charge and all that. That said, getting back to the servant leadership, Marines are taught right from the front that leaders are there for those they are privileged and lead. We serve those we are privileged to lead, not vice versa. And that I do everything I can to look after the welfare and development and training of the people in my charge. And one of the best ways I can tell you is, you know this, it's in the book. We had a famous general about 100 years ago named General John A. Lejeune. And he did a lot of writing. And about 100 years ago, I believe it was 1918, he published an article to Marine officers and Marine NCOs saying, we, we do not look down upon our enlisted men as officers. In fact, and it was all male back then, so he, mm-hmm. you know, he actually didn't say women, but he said the relationship between officer and men should not be from superior to inferior or master servant, rather teacher scholar. Mm-hmm. And, and that was banged into my head before I was ever a leader. And so we look at our enlisted Marines with a sense of benevolent love. There's no other way to say it. Mm-hmm. And, and the other th- concept that we go by is leaders eat last. And literally, uh, and this, this intrigues civilians because it's inverted a lot in the, in the business world where the, the executives eat the fancy food and they have air conditioned spaces and then the further down the food chain, life isn't so good. That, that will not happen in, in right. a Marine command. And That's if it right. does, somebody's getting fired. And so in a situation like that, if we were out in the field or even in the rear, it's a situation where the whole unit was going to eat. The senior Marines enlisted an officer, as you know, they get to the back of the line That's right. and they let the very newest baby go first. It goes, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it goes by seniority. The concept being that if the food runs out, the officers and other leaders go hungry. That's right. But not the young kids. We do not, we do not do that. We eat last and we eat last in every single thing we do. We share hardship, privation, and all of that. So that kind of gets bubbled up into the concept of servant leadership. Mm-hmm. And that, coin, that term was coined by a man named Dr. Robert Greenleaf. And he coined that, I want to say, in the 60s. But as I say in the book, while he trademarked that term and coined it, the Marine Corps was espousing servant leadership right from the start. Yeah. And, and, you know, you're a Marine. So, you know, there's, there's hype associated with the Marine Corps, you know, there's, and, and some of it's true. Sure. And this is one of them, the ability, the, the concept of Marines loving their, you know, Marine leaders loving their troops. I mean, don't get me wrong kind of euphemistically kicking them in the ass if we have to. Of course, yes. You know, I'll send somebody to the brig if that's what he needs, you know, if that's what he warrants. The other thing, though, is, especially as I got older, Michael, I was out in a field exercise one time, and now I had children. Now I had little kids. And I remember being out in the field, and I'm, thinking, I'm looking at, you know, a couple hundred Marines I'm in charge of, and I'm like, my God, these are, these are somebody's children, right, you know? right. And, and, and I, it was, it was just like a thunderbolt hit me and I, I was determined and, and revalidated my thought that the very least that I owed the parents of these young men and women was the very most that I could give them in the way of leadership and preparing them to survive yeah. combat should they either have to go. Yeah. You know what, Mike? Again, just it just so resonates with me, and 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 I agree with you that when you when you get into the corporate world, when you're in the corporate world, that attitude of leadership and it being that being the attitude of the leadership in the Marine Corps, it just seems unheard of, right? And the idea of here you are, uh, twenty four or so years in the in the Marine Corps as an enlisted and as an officer, and and you're talking about how you felt a a, a sense of care and a sense of love even for those Marines that you're leading. And in the corporate world, that's a foreign concept. The idea that we would say we care about and we even love 
our employees. But then when they when when they're on the outside looking in at the military, they just don't see uh, yeah. that at all. But I, I, that is it, it completely in my mind. That is what true leadership is. It's that serving others. And, and it brings to what you were talking there. It brings to mind. I have uh, we have three children. They're they're in their late teens and early 20s now. But a couple of them, uh, when they were teenagers and in high school, they worked for Chick-fil-A. Uh, and really great organization, especially for teenagers to work through, uh, because one of the things that they taught, uh, both of my children that work there, they taught them the nobility of service. Uh, now, you know, they're serving chicken and waffle fries and sweet tea and things like that. But in, you know, in what you're saying, the Marine Corps or, or in the C-suite of the, of the, the corporate world, there is nobility in service, nobility in serving the people that you lead. The nobility is not in your title or the size of your office. Uh, the nobility is in how well you're serving those you lead. Yeah, I agree entirely with that. Um, I love Chick-fil-A. I use it as a, uh, I mean, I love the product too. I love the Chick-fil-A sandwich, Absolutely. but I, I love the culture they have. And a little bit of trivia, the, the Chick-fil-A that I go to, the local Chick-fil-A that's located in Brandon, Florida, is the number one revenue-producing Chick-fil-A franchise in the whole United States. And I mean, when you go there in the takeout line, they have three lanes. And I'm telling you, they've got this down mm -hmm. like a military operation. Yeah. Always polite, always professional. They don't screw the orders up. So that's a, that's a great culture mm -hmm. that has been established by a corporate and it really is resonant. It's bubbling down right. to, to that local branch. Yes. And so, yes, I, I absolutely agree. And I will say this, I do agree that eating last and, and loving the people we're in charge of is foreign out here in the business world, mostly because Business, most business leaders, as you know, Michael, receive no no leadership training right. whatsoever. So mm -hmm. they don't learn to eat last. They don't learn. Now, despite that, yep. many of them are really good leaders mm -hmm. and they would have been great Marines. And I mean that as a high compliment. Sure. So this should be instructive to your audience. The best leaders that I've run into in the business world are really employing Marine leadership. Yeah. They just don't know it. They, they don't know it. Exactly. But they, totally they are eating last. They're making sure the people are working in good climate controlled spaces. If they're on the loading docks, they've got water cooler. You know, they just, they're, they get it. Mm -hmm. They get out of their office. They walk around. And, uh, and of course, are they making as a captain? Well, that was, I making more money than you were as a corporal and sergeant. Absolutely. Is the CEO or the chief marketing officer making a hell of a lot more money than someone in his department? Yes. Mm -hmm. And they deserve it. That's what the market will pay. That's right. But the, be the best ones spend very little time in their office and a lot of time out and about talking to their people and removing obstacles. So totally I'm a big, I'm a fan. I'm a Marine. I was successful in the business world because I was a Marine, but make no doubt about it, there's a hell of a lot of good leaders out here. And again, most good leaders in any environment are really, whether consciously or not, they're utilizing the same concept and principles. Yeah, I totally agree with that. You know, and, and, and oftentimes when I go in and I'm teaching leadership, I don't necessarily highlight that, hey, this is a, a Marine Corps leadership trait that I'm teaching you or, or something like that. Uh, but I, I, it's all based in and rooted in those lessons that I learned, leaders eat last and so forth. Um, and speaking of leadership traits, I knew uh, when I purchased your book, I, I knew for sure that we were going to have the 14 Marine Corps leadership traits in the book. Uh, now, I want to be transparent with you and say I was a little bit disappointed uh, because uh, I don't think I saw it there. But I saw the 14 leadership traits, but I didn't see the acronym. Uh, noted in the book. JJ did tie buckle. I can't tell you how many times I, uh, you know, shouted the JJ did tie buckle acronym in boot camp as we were marching around Paris Island and so forth. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but I knew that one was going to be there. Is there, is there one of the 14 leadership traits maybe that you, 
you want us to talk about here? I've got one that I want to, that's not of the 14 that I want to explain to you and see if you believe with me that it should be. Uh, but are, is there one of the 14 Marine Corps leadership traits maybe you'd, you'd like to discuss here? Well, I think they're, as you know, they're all, they're all important. Mm-hmm. I tend to think, I actually think integrity um, mm-hmm. should be listed first. Mm-hmm. I've often thought about recommending to, you know, writing a letter saying, Hey, I think you need to rejigger these, you know, right, which, right. Would, which would tear up that JJ did type buckle. <laughs> it would. <laughs> but um, I love the traits and principles. And again, they served us well in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. And again, the best leaders or even good leaders out here are really following the traits and principles. Most of them, they just mm-hmm. don't know it. They, right. they really don't know it. And I will say this, um, as an executive coach dealing with bona fide high level executives, 90% or more of the problems that I help really good leaders, you know, executives with are the result of them ignoring or not utilizing one or more of the leadership traits and principles because they haven't been taught them. So you may think, well, Mike's going in, he's, you know, billion dollar, you know, executive, he's going in and he's, you know, dealing like Bill. No, I'm telling you, it's almost always a leadership trait or principle issue. Mm-hmm. And now when I teach them this, they don't necessarily know I'm teaching them traits. I said, well, you know, you've, you, you got a good message, but you, you're, you're really lacking in tact, you know, or you're, you know what to do, but you're lacking decisiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, they, oh, you know, you're right, Mike. So again, but it goes back to this list of, of leadership traits and principles. So I love it. When I teach it to people, I have a little checklist for them. I print it out, ask them to evaluate themselves relative mm-hmm. to those, and then say, listen, there's a couple of things in this book that if I were you, I'd print these checklists out, yeah. keep them in your office. I said, because even I, 65 years old, I believe at the, t- at the height of my game, leadership-wise, um, I still can, can violate one or more of those principles if I don't check myself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Cause you get stressed. There's things going on. Next thing you know, I'm like, yeah, I, I really didn't need to say that that way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, totally I, really agree. Need, I need to go back and undo that damage, you know, because yep. I, it was, a, it was a five second message, but I should have strung it out to a minute, but I was just five. And not everybody, as you know, not everybody can take a very blunt, direct look. Right. It's not good. I don't like that. Let's fix it now. Yeah. You know, not everybody can tolerate that kind of um, addressing. So yeah. I am, uh, I have made every leadership mistake uh, possible uh, with the exception of lapse of integrity. I will say that in integrity, I've been perfect. Mm-hmm. And that's all that I ever demand of anyone I lead. I tell them we're going to make mistakes. I ask that you don't do it again. I'm going to make mistakes. But the one thing I will never tolerate is a, an intentional lapse of integrity, yeah. however slight. Yeah. And as you know, we're that way as, as Marines. I used to tell my corporals and sergeants as an officer, I used to be you. I know this is where the real power in the unit is. Mm-hmm. I'm going to turn you loose. I'm going to support you. But God help you if I ever catch one of you abusing your authority or lying or concealing the truth. If yeah. you do that, you will not be a, a corporal or a sergeant for long. Mm-hmm. And if I have anything to do it, you won't be a Marine for long right. either. Right. So right. it's a zero defects mentality when it comes to matters of integrity. Yeah. You know, I, I can, I can totally agree with that. And, and I, I know that that would upset the, uh, the acronym for sure. If we, uh, if we moved integrity to the front, but I can certainly um, agree with that. And, and, you know, throughout my corporate career, I will say that, I use those 14 leadership traits very often, especially in the context of like performance reviews. Now, I, you know, in a performance review with someone in the corporate world, I, I never talked about bearing, for instance. Um, but I would use those uh, leadership traits as as kind of guidelines for a lot of coaching and mentoring, especially in, in performance review type settings. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I should say that uh, a good while back, many, many months ago, um, I actually, on the podcast here, I went through the 14 leadership traits. Uh, I did a, 
I did an overview episode with, you know, all 14. And then I, I kind of did a kind of a deep dive on all 14 of those in a series uh, on the podcast here. And then uh, at the end, as I was going through that, um, I began to recognize as I was going through that series, I believe there is a trait that's missing. And so I'd, I'd like to introduce that one to you and uh, and get your thoughts on it as well. But I, I came away with a 15th uh, leadership trade, and I, I shared it here on the podcast that, that I believe should be a part of the Marine Corps leadership traits, and that is humility. Um, I don't know if if you run into it a lot, but I would say that when I'm coaching or or mentoring a, I'll call them a fallen leader, right? A, a leader that in some way has just really really messed up, lost a job, maybe lost a team or whatever. I'm most often uh, can can really kind of dig into that and find out that that leader was struggling with ego. There was something about their ego that was causing them to act in a way that wasn't tactful maybe, or lose their bearing in some way or something like that. Um, and, and I just believe that it's super important that a leader have a, have the characteristic trait of humility when they go into leadership. What's your, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I love it. I would support that. I agree entirely. And so uh, let me stray a little bit. There's a chapter in my book, um, uh, chapter 56, the title is On Humility. Mm -hmm. And when I, I sometimes take these chapters and put them on the web, when I put that chapter on LinkedIn, by far it is the number one downloaded chapter mm. because people are telling me, God, I wish I could send this to my boss. Yeah. So that's one thing. The second thing is, as you know, I have a, I have servant leadership, chapter five, and then the follow-on chapter is self-leadership. Yep. Because you can't be a good leader. First, you have to be a follower, and then secondly, you have to be a good leader. You have to follow and lead yourself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And wrapped up into that is being self-aware and having humility. And to your point, I know of no long-term effective leaders that have deficiencies in the area of humility. Mm -hmm. I, I know of none. I know of in, both in the Marine Corps, I'm sure you do, both in the Marine Corps and the business world. I have seen many unbelievably intelligent, talented, gifted people that were destined for great things and had already done great things, mm -hmm. but ultimately a lack of humility which can be very easily rolled into ego and all of that caused their demise. Mm -hmm. They were either arrogant, wouldn't listen, didn't want to follow the laws don't apply to me. Ego gets involved and none of us want to work for somebody. Right. I like working with people that are better than me. I don't like working for arrogant, condescending, patronizing people. That's that right. that just, I don't want to learn from that guy. Even though I know I can, that just shuts me off. I don't want to deal with that guy. Mm -hmm. So I support that. I think adding that would be, because why, why leave it to osmosis or assumptions? You know, Because in the mm -hmm. Marine Corps, I covered this in a book. A lot of what I wrote in this book um, is, is writing down what's really tribal knowledge. And so I wrote some things here and it's like, well, the Marine Corps says there's two main rules of, you know, things of a leader. It, the Marine Corps says, accomplish the mission and take care of your people. Mm -hmm. And I say, no, there's three, you know, so I'll throw this one. I, there's three main duties of a leader. The first two, every Marine knows. Mm -hmm. The third one I say is develop leaders who can develop the next generation of leaders. Right. Now, every Marine I tell that to nods his head. He's been told it, but it's not written down anywhere. That's right, yep. That I can find. Agree. And so Agree. adding that would be a good thing. And I told in the book, I'm being kind of a smart ass. I added this, why? Because I can, it's my book. And I just <laughs> said, it. Right. I said, I said there's three instead of two. And I will tell you that if you write your book and you write these leadership traits, if I were you, I'd write, hey, this is an unofficial, but for me, it's official. I, I do think you, I don't think you, it's so important that it ranks up there, uh, not far below integrity and yeah. character. Yeah. It's it's right there. Yeah. You, you know what? you can have stellar character, mm -hmm. stellar integrity, but if you lack humility, yep. 
you're not going to make it over the long haul. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the very point that that I enjoy making with leaders is that longevity. Um, that that for instance, that takes me back to servant leadership. That's why I believe servant leadership is the best form of leadership, is because it has longevity, and humi- humility the same way. I mean, that's the only type of leadership it, that is going to have the legs to go go the distance, right? Yes, you can with other forms of leadership or even with a you know a super strong ego in a in in really short bursts you can probably get a lot done you can get people to do a lot of things but i would rec- i would i would caution you to recognize you're getting them to do those things out of a a fear based obligation to do them yeah. Yeah. not out of this willingness to follow you right it, it, they're not doing those things because they want to follow you they're doing them for other reasons. And that type of, like you said, that type of leadership, it just doesn't have any type of longevity because people will go find that other leader that is humble, that does care about them and does serve their needs in, in accomplishing the mission. Yeah, I I, I mean, yes, preaching, preaching the choir, <laughs> you're singing my song. I love it. Well, so... So the leadership traits are in your book. I also, I was making a pretty good safe assumption that the 11 uh, leadership principles would also be in your book. And and I wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit about one of my favorites uh, of the 11 principles. Uh, and that is uh, the know your Marines and look after their well-being. And I wanted to talk about that one because in my leadership teachings, I teach about the importance of relationship. Right. Those people that you're leading, the importance of getting to know them well, uh, even to some degree, even on a personal level. Uh, And so I'd love to get your thoughts on the importance of this. Know your Marines or know your people and then look out for them. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's the number three principle, but Mm -hmm. it, it, it may be number one as far as your your. Let me back up. You can have perfect integrity. You can you can have great character. You can be humble, like we just talked about. But if you don't take the time to really know your people, uh, again, your success, you'll never be as successful. That organization will never ring out maximum value. Mm-hmm. So to give you an example, so yes, we, you know, we do it in the Marine Corps. You know, I, I tell people, no kidding, Michael, and you'll relate to this as, as a fellow grunt, I got, and this is before name tags. I was a Marine before there were name tags on our camis. Right. Yet, I'd say a couple months after taking command of a unit where there's 150 Marines, I knew every Marine's name. Mm-hmm. Not only that, because we had info on them, I knew if he was married. I knew the names and how old his children were. I knew where he went to high school or college. Did he play sports? I just knew about him. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you see him, hey, Smuckatelli, you know, I understand, you know, I was a wrestler. You wrestled, huh? You know, oh, yes, yeah, sir. I said, well, let's have at it. You know, like, oh, no, sir. You know, you know. and the guy, God, how does he know that about me? Right. Well, he actually, I, I read your bio, I read the material. Well, that works out really well in the business world. And, and here is, I, you know, I hate to, I don't want to say pro tip because I'm a pro to the audience, but here's a pro tip. If you take the time to read your team's resumes or bios, they're going to love that you're educated on them. They're going to appreciate it, but you're going to find out some amazing things. And so the technique that I did, Michael, was when I took over as a chief information officer, now in charge of a large tech department, I didn't know anything about tech. I knew a lot about leadership and that's what they put me in there for mm-hmm. 176 people in that department. So I didn't know, I, I knew a few, but I didn't know many of them mm-hmm. at all. So I had each one of them, you know, print out a bio, put a bio. And then I had a three ring, two, three ring binders that were about five inches thick each. And in each bio or resume had a picture of them. Mm-hmm. And within two months, I knew I could go down there and see everybody and say, this might be the first time I ever talked to this person, like Susie Smith, like, yes, Susie Smith. Wait, you're, you're from New Hampshire, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and I got to tell you, that has been cited almost 20 years later yeah. as the technique that enabled these techies to say, okay, this guy doesn't know anything about technology. 
but we're seeing good indicators, but we, he's always down here talking to us. Yeah. And he knows us. He not only knows our names, which is impressive because no one's ever done that before. Um, but he, he knows us. And mm-hmm. I did that in, when I was in charge of maybe 350, 400 people at K4. So I read all those bios. I used to read them on a treadmill mm-hmm. and just read mm-hmm. them. I can't tell you, Michael, how many lawyers that I found in my group that weren't serving in the law department, mm-hmm. accountants that were not being accountants, people with technology degrees that were working in human resource. I mean, and I go see them. I said, why are you in human resources? You have a master's degree in computer science. Right. Right. Like, you know, I, I, I tried it. I just didn't, you know, I went through, I got all the education at the end of the day. I just don't like being a techie. And I should have, I should have gotten the human resources degree because this is what I love. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. But again, it enabled me to learn, you know, knowing, so I, I agree entirely yeah. knowing your people, you can't really look out for their welfare completely if you don't know right. them. That's Cause right. as you know, not every, they're not cookie cutters mm-hmm. and they, they all are going to have different needs at different times. Yeah. And so knowing your people well enough to know, you know, I, uh, I've seen this guy a lot. I've talked to him and his body language. The last few times I've seen him isn't going, I go down and talk to his boss and he yep. says, yeah, like he's, he's going through a real rough divorce right now. Yep. Right. Okay. Well, next time I see him, I say, Hey, come on over here. You know, look, I, I know you're going through a rough time right now and I'm sorry for that. I feel you. If we can do anything to help you, just let us know, but just know that we love you and we respect you. If you need time off or anything, let us know. Well, you know, people, you, you start saying that to people and it's heartfelt, it's genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, 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 it's immeasurable. Yeah. So the one anecdote I'll say before, and I'll shut up and let you talk was pre-named tag. I not only knew the Marines by name, but I could tell in darkness looking through night vision goggles, who they were looking at the back of their body. Right. I could look and see that's Gunny Jones right there. Yeah, yeah. As he walks a certain way in the dark through night vision goggles, I could tell almost, Oh, after a while I could pretty much nail who that Marine was. Right. Right. And, and yeah. for those that haven't looked through night vision goggles, they're good, but they're not that good. You cannot see the guy's face. Yeah. Especially in, back in, in the day. In, yeah. It was, no, it was in, just in, different shades of green is all it was. Yeah. Yeah. In <laughs> detail and all of that. And so I, I told that to that tech group mm-hmm. and they laughed. I said, I'm going to get to know some of you by the back of your head too. Yeah. And they laughed. Yeah. I said, you know why? I said, because I'm going to come down here asking so many questions. When you see me, you're going to say, Oh, I'm going to get out of here. Mike's getting ready to ask me questions <laughs> about my job, you know? And they all laughed, of course. And yeah. of course, you know, you had to back it up. So yeah. anyway, yeah. agree entirely again with your, with your thought on that particular principle. Yeah. It's, it's so important. And I mean, to me, it does two things. Getting to know your people really, really well, it does two things. It it enables you to deploy them strategically, right? I mean, you you talked about how when you were reading the bio, you discovered you've got lawyers and computer scientists and so forth. Um, and, you know, in the case that you were talking about, you've got a computer science guy that doesn't necessarily want to do that anymore. But yeah. now you you better, as the leader, you better understand the skill sets and the talents and so forth in the team. So you can you can now better deploy uh, them to accomplish the mission. But the second and probably most important thing here is it relates to leadership for me. That is just so powerful when, like you're talking, if you're just passing someone in the hallway and you can speak something to them that, that proves to them you know a good bit about them, that you've put in the effort, you care enough to put in the effort to learn a little bit about them, that is so powerful in garnering their loyalty, their oh, yeah. their full effort. Um, you, you know, I often talk about when we're kind of leading with our title or something like that, then the best we're getting from our people is half-hearted effort. But when we have a good relationship with them and, and they know we care about them and we have uh, their best interest at heart and we've proven that by taking the time to try to get to know them, you can rest assured you're getting full effort. Everything they've got, they're giving giving to you. And that's why I believe that that building relationships is is so important when that's the case. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, walking around talking to my people, as you know, 
I did that while employing a leadership technique called leadership by walking around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So every day I determined every day to get out of my desk and I was a senior executive. I was busy, but every day I would walk down to a certain area that I hadn't been to that day or that week. And I would talk to people and the, 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 the corollary effect, the side effect, the positive side effect of this, Michael was, my, my subordinate leaders, my direct reports were all directors mm -hmm. and they realized Mike Etor knows the name of everyone in my department. And yes, I do too, but he knows more about them now than I do. So I better start studying I these bios too. Yep. Yep. And Mike Etor is in my department just about every other day walking through the cubes. Hey, what are you doing? Hey, show me what they, how you been, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I guess I need to start walking That's around right. too. That's and right. so it's, it's a bleed over effect. And it goes back to a, a, euphemism, a term you probably know is with leaders, leaders are supposed to show their people what right looks like. That's right. You look at Mike, he shows you what right looks like with character, integrity, work ethic. He doesn't know how to do your job, so he can't show you how to do your job right. Mm -hmm. But culture, character, and all that, he show you what right looks like. Yeah, totally. And, and right looks like not only Mike walking around, concerned, really leading, but all of Mike's subordinate leaders as well. Mm -hmm. and, and I find, again, when I did that, um, I didn't necessarily tell him, you know, I'm employing a Marine Corps technique here. I just did it. Right. And then after a while, people said, Mike, do you do that in the Marines? I said, yes, not only did I do it, I'd be out in the field with my Marines and we'd hear a Jeep coming and it was the commanding general. He'd be, him and his Sergeant Major would be there. And, and this guy's several levels above me. He's right. the Grand Poobah, right. but he wanted to come out in the training areas and get dusty and, he would just say, no, Captain, I, I'm good. I just want to talk to some Marines. I'm like, okay, sir, have at it. You know, yeah. and he would go down yeah. and spend almost all of his time talking with 18, 19 year old Marines. I'm sure you've had it happen to you. Absolutely. You know, uh, you, you know as a, as a PFC or a Lance Corporal, it's the scariest thing on the planet to have, yeah. you know, the star walk up on you or something. But, yeah. uh, uh, but no, I've totally been there and totally agree with that. And it's all about the kind of that building those relationships. Well, well, Mike, look, I, I want to be cognizant of your time. I, you and I, we could, we could nerd out on leadership. Oh, yeah. We could nerd out on the Marine Corps here, uh, forever, but I just want to encourage the audience. Be sure you go and, and, and get the book. I know it's on Amazon. That's where I got it. Um, so be sure you go and get the book. I can't recommend the book enough. Uh, Mike, before I let you go, is it any other, anything we didn't cover or any topic you'd certainly feel pressed to, uh, to share with the audience before we go? No, I think I wish we had more time, but I think it's good. I do. I do recommend if they're interested in leadership to, to read any book they can get. And I, and I do think this one is a good one. I will also offer that if they go to my website, which is fidelisleadership.com, Fidelis, like Semper Fidelis, mm -hmm. if they just Google me, and I hope people connect with me on LinkedIn, I, I publish almost every day on LinkedIn, I have a big following there. But if you find my website, you'll find a link to my leadership podcast too. And, and just like you, Michael, I operate a podcast. I think I just did episode number 60, but I've been blessed, as have you, I've been blessed to be able to interview some really, mm -hmm. really good leaders. And I got to tell you, when I, when I, I write notes when I'm doing these podcasts yeah, because yeah. I'm, I'm interviewing, but I'm learning. Right. And, uh, and I, I will offer that the, these people that are out listening to your podcast, of course, listen to yours. I think if they listen to mine, it's just another layer of leadership, another layer of, you know, various perspectives. So yep, yep. now that's all I got for today. And like I said, we could do, 10 of these in a row and still be hurting for time. So yep. I appreciate the opportunity. Anytime I can talk about my, my passion, it's, it's leadership is my oxygen. I need it yeah, to live. Agree. No, I, I t totally resonate again with that. I totally agree with that. Um, and, and I'm a, I'm a subscriber now to your podcast as well. After I heard you on, on Richard's podcast, I, I have added yours to my list of subscribed podcasts. And so I recommend that as well. So uh, thanks for sharing that. And I'll have links in the show notes for this podcast episode. I'll have links to your book, 
to your podcast and your website as well so the the uh, the listeners can find it there but but mike thanks so much again uh for sharing your leadership wisdom with the audience here um you know from marine to marine i would say to you hoorah and you know simplify thanks so much for for sharing your time with us today uh, back at you, Marine. I, I love you. I love the Marines. I love business people. I just love people. And uh, you're, you're, you're doing good things. Thank you again for the opportunity. There you have it, friend. I told you you were going to benefit from that interview. And I also told you that it was going to probably dispel a lot of myths or misconceptions maybe that you have about military leadership. Did you did you hear when Mike was talking about how he cared about the Marines that he led, that he loved the Marines that he led? You just don't expect to hear language like that regarding military leadership. You don't even expect to hear language like that regarding corporate leadership, as a matter of fact. So just I just love the message that that Mike is delivering regarding servant leadership and, and serving those that you lead. So Mike, I hope you're listening in. I thank you so much for sharing your time uh, and your wisdom with us here on the Rookie Leaders Podcast. Hey, before I let you go, let me make you aware again, here in the month of March, again, because I'm such a college basketball fan, uh, here in the month of March, as we lead into the the uh, closing tournament of the college basketball season here in the United States, we call it March Madness. Uh, in, in, in the spirit of March Madness, we here at the Credible Leadership Group are offering a 50% discount on our 30-day leadership course. Uh, it's called the Leadership Accelerator, and you will get a 50% discount if you just simply use the promo code MADNESS. Simply use the promo code MADNESS and you'll get a 50% discount code on that. It's an online course, 30-day challenge, guaranteed to improve your leadership capabilities. So be sure you check that out. You can find that at credibleleaders.com forward slash accelerator. You can go to the show notes for this podcast episode. You'll find links to that as well. Again, thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks so much again to you, Mike Etor, for sharing your wisdom with us. Until I speak to you again next time. Know that I love you because that's what leaders do. And I want you to be blessed and lead well. This episode of the Rookie Leaders Podcast has ended. But never fear, you can find other binge-worthy podcasts and episodes at rookieleaders.com. If you like this episode, please rate and write a review in iTunes. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. And remember to share this episode with your friends and colleagues looking for leadership lessons of their own. We appreciate your support. For more great leadership content, head over to credibleleaders.com.